0: Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. Hope you had a good weekend. The Baltimore Fire Department has been reeling lately following revelations contained in a damning report about a vacant house fire on Stricker Street last January that claimed the lives of three firefighters a sudden resignation of Chief Niles Ford, and a meeting last week with the City Council in which department heads told members of the City Council that its fleet of vehicles is severely depleted. Joining me now is Joshua Fannin. He's a battalion chief with the Baltimore City Fire Department and the president of the International Association of Firefighters, the IAFF, Local 964. That's the union that represents Baltimore fire officers. Mr. Fannin, welcome.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Tom. Happy to be here. Got a face for radio, so I'm in the right venue. <laughs> I got the same kind of
0: face, so I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, so first of all, there are two unions representing folks in the Baltimore City Fire Department. Tell us what the difference is between the two and why there are two different unions.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting story. Local 734 under the IFF is the Firefighters and Paramedics Union, They organized in 1945. At that time, supervisors were not allowed by law to organize. And then three years later, the law changed. So, 964, the Baltimore Fire Officers was born. We represent the lieutenants, captains, and battalion chiefs in the Baltimore City Fire Department.
0: Okay, so that's your union. Um, Correct. Let me ask for your, uh, your thoughts about the resignation of Chief... Ford. This follows this uh, report that was compiled by uh, fire uh, experts and firefighters from surrounding jurisdictions. Um, it was a, a pretty damning report, uh, and Chief Ford resigned uh, pretty pretty quickly after its release. Your thoughts?
1: Well, we've been both union presidents, myself and Rich Langford, we've been looking at getting our hands on this report for quite some time. Uh, we'd been talking to Chief Ford about that and I'm very happy to have it in our hands now to have all that information. I think the Board of Inquiry did an excellent job, very comprehensive. Um, They laid the groundwork for a roadmap of improvements, firefighter safety on the fire ground that I'm hoping that we can uh, make sure is implemented, and that'll protect our members going forward. Are these long-standing
0: problems? Um, This is a 900-something page report. I mean, it's really extensive. Um, But are these problems, the the problems that were identified in the report, specifically having to do with this terrible tragedy on Stricker Street, uh, are they problems that that your membership has has known about, uh, complained about, uh, identified uh, in the past?
1: Uh, Most definitely. There's a lot of recommendations in here. I forget the page off the top of my head, but there was a page in the report that was Very interesting, I'm glad it was in there, that it compared it to past line-of-duty death reports and near-miss reports. That's where we almost had a death, but we lucked out of it. And a lot of the recommendations in there, in fact, I think every recommendation in there, has been in one of those other reports at some point in time. This is going back, you know, 15, 20 years. So a lot of the things that were in that report, we have been advocating for, seeking progress on for a, a long time.
0: The report, as you mentioned, you've been uh, trying to get your hands on it and take a look uh, for a while. Uh, as I understand it, it came out in September or the latest October. I mean, it was, it's was it been done for a while, but it was just released uh, recently within the last couple of weeks. Why the delay? Do you have any sense of uh, what caused uh, the, the, the interregnum between uh, finishing the
1: report and its release? To be honest with you, I know there's a date on maybe the cover page that said September 13th, I believe that was when the the Board of Inquiry finished it up and submitted it to the chief of the fire department. As far as the specifics on the delay from that point till now, I really am not sure.
0: There are uh, going to be three rotating fire chiefs in this period now where the city will conduct a search for a replacement for uh, now uh, resigned Chief Niles Ford. So Assistant Chief Charles Svela, Assistant Chief Chris Case, and Assistant Chief Dante Stewart are going to rotate, evidently, as the head of the fire department. I know nothing about the command structure of a fire department uh, or the military or anything like that. But it just it strikes me as a layperson as a dumb idea to have rotating chiefs, that, that, that leadership needs to be sustained, consistent, and you know, coming from the same place. Now, these three gentlemen may get along just fine and communicate beautifully, but uh, it just it seems like a, 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 a problem waiting to happen on my, from my perspective. What about yours?
1: Well, Tom, I think uh, every organization knows that it thrives under having three leaders. I mean, go ahead and tell me a country that doesn't have three presidents or a ship that doesn't set sail under three captains. And where would Catholicism be without the popes, right? That's taking a joke from the office, but absolutely, you do have to have a vested authority at the top. I mean, with the paramilitary structure, all decisions are made at the top. We just had the departure of our leader. Whether or not we have a brand new fire chief installed tomorrow, I think it's going to take a lot more time than that. But to have a rotating committee of chiefs, I'm not aware of any fire service that's ever had operated like a commission like that. And you're right that it could cause significant delays and problems.
0: So your membership has to be a little concerned about this, I mean, in terms of who they're taking their orders from and... and uh, how this is how this structure is going to work. I mean, I can imagine if there were rotating people being mayor or rotating mm-hmm. people being the president of the city council, uh, there'd be an uproar. Um, how how do you think this is going to work? I mean, if this is the reality, if this is what um, the deputy mayor for public safety, uh, Mr. Barksdale, has decided to do, or Mayor Scott, uh, in conjunction with Mr. Barksdale, has decided to do, um, what 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 cautionary tales do you you know do, do your members need to need to know about in, in order to try to make this
1: work? Well, first I definitely have sympathy to those three assistant chiefs that were named because they're definitely being thrust into a position that's unusual and that they really wouldn't have had a way to prepare for. It's less than ideal. I guess that we have no choice right now but to see how it plays out and Really, probably advocate to the mayor and deputy mayor that the better course of action is probably to establish an interim chief of the fire department while you search for a replacement.
0: And that's still possible. And you could you could have those conversations. I mean, the, the, this is a decision that could change uh, if uh, the, the leadership of the city were were convinced and persuaded.
1: I don't see why it's not worth bringing up as a topic. I mean, we could be entirely wrong, and it works out well. I just personally don't see it. I don't. And I know that the three of them are trying to operate as a commission, and uh, my hat's off to them. But ultimately, it probably makes best sense for it to be a specific interim individual. At this point, how frequently will they rotate? Well, the press release from the mayor's office said one month at a time. And obviously, the concern there is say you were find yourself in a position where you're the head of an organization and they say for 30 days and it happens to be an organization where there was a 300 plus page report issued on a lot of very serious issues that needed to be addressed immediately or you know the the work has to be done immediately so if you started down that road but thirty days later you're replaced by somebody else I mean that's gonna cause some obvious problems
0: Joshua Fannin is, the, is a battalion chief of the Baltimore City Fire Department. He's the president of the International Association of Firefighters, IAFF Local 964. That's the union that represents Baltimore fire officers. If you have a question for Mr. Fannin, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at org. You can tweet us at midday WIPR. Um Talk a little bit about some of the recommendations in this report about the Stricker Street fire. One of them has to do with, or a lot of them have to do with, the policy about vacant buildings. Uh, Obviously vacant buildings propose uh, propose, particular dangers to uh, people who live next to them and people who are fighting fires in them. this is uh, there, there were uh, policies that, uh, according to the report, were proposed more than a decade ago that still hadn't been implemented. Can you shed any light as to why that is the case? Are the policies flawed? Are people worried about what those policies were? Or was it a matter of uh, leadership and organizational structure that just couldn't get it done?
1: Well, you just laid out a... <laughs> A whole host of reasons why it could be. So in dealing with vacant fires, vacant building fires in the city of Baltimore, which we have 15,000 vacants, we have vacant building fires all the time, way more than the national average. Um, So one of the things is, what is our approach? Is it different for a vacant building fire? One of the things identified in the report was that we did not have any kind of direction To operate in a different way, however, that is since January 24th, the day of that tragic fire on Stricker Street, and some of these recommendations had been implemented along the way, and that was one of them. They do have policies and procedures regarding vacant building fires, but there are some. There's still more work to be done. For example, a a police officer responding to a particular address for a call, as my understanding, would receive information saying, "Hey, this is the scene of a previous domestic call." You know these three dates, and that's very valuable information to have, right? As opposed to the first time you're going there, something similar I feel like for the fire department would be, and it would have absolutely came into play with Stricker Street was, this is the scene of a previous fire on this date, and in that case, and another date, and this is the third such fire. And the reason that that's so important is, you can have a fire in a, in a in a um, dwelling, place where people live or not live. And it can be rehabbed, rehabilitated. You have crews come in, construction crews, they they can, depending on the extent of the fire, you can rebuild it so that it's brand new. However, especially a vacant building fire, a lot of times that doesn't happen. And when you have a subsequent fire there, because fire is very hard on the structural integrity of a building, so once it's already had a fire there, it is more likely to collapse if there's future fires there and in shorter order than it would have happened the first time. So... That's one of the things we've been advocating for. We really want to see that enter. We have the capability technology. We'd like to see that happen. And then it goes into some other specifics with technology, like a radio accountability system, which I know has been in the testing phases for the majority of this year and um, hasn't been implemented yet. They were working out some information technology issues. I hope that's done in a timely fashion. I would like to uh, applaud the current leadership that to address the incident technician, the first recommendation, they've moved forward with a pilot program that started today, as a matter of fact. So there's some things in, oh, and another with the vacancies, having a way to mark And the an building.
0: incident technician is the person on the scene who is helping organize the flow of information?
1: To a degree, yes. They have more functions than that, but the National Fire Protection Association standard 1710 staffing for career fire departments recommends that a chief officer like in this case the battalion chief first arriving senior officer on the scene by themselves. they don't have a an assistant with them who helps them do the million different functions that are put on that person to do and it all has to do with the incident management of the scene accountability of what units are operating where And that's what the recommended standard is. And there's surrounding jurisdictions in this state where they have a they might have a different terminology for it, but essentially the same thing. Yeah, That's because, it,
0: because it, the, the report uh, brings up two problems that are sort of on either side of the spectrum. One is that there wasn't enough information uh, coming to the, the people in charge of the scene. The other was that uh, the battalion chief was overloaded mm-hmm. with uh, so many things to do that he missed some critical information that he had gotten, but it just never got to him. So, I mean, those are on two sides of the, the fence here.
1: Yeah. And and they're both accurate. They're both accurate statements like the information. I just was talking about the scene of a previous fire. They didn't have that information going in there. Mm -hmm. Um, There was information that was conveyed at the scene that was missed because of what they identified as task saturation, where a human being can only manage so much. And trust me when I tell you a, a fire ground, especially one like this, where there's a massive structural failure, there's people missing everybody's panicked they're trying to get your friends out of there and it can be too much. No, it's
0: much. awful, awful situation. So um, one final thing I do want to ask you about is this report to the city council that happened last week about the paucity of vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, there are stations that don't have enough fire trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the deal with that? Is there difficulties getting them? We have supply chain issues, uh, etc. cetera. Um, these are expensive, complicated vehicles, but um, how do you see
1: that situation being resolved? Well, it is an extremely complex situation. There's a background and they went over it in the city council where back in, I want to say 2009, we had some budget issues and we started cutting the budget. And one of the things that was cut was replacement fire apparatus, which was short-sighted because we have to replace apparatus on a certain schedule or we fall behind. So there was that happening for a few years. My opinion too is that they didn't replace, they didn't catch up once they started replacing it again. Then you also had the supply chain issues from COVID, the manufacturer. Now everybody in the country is competing for a brand new apparatus. So the build times to construct new apparatus is getting further and further out. And this is a unique situation in a way, but one of the things we do in the fire department is we adapt and overcome. So in this case, what I think they should be doing is really making it a top priority to go out and find used apparatus and start local and i've seen it myself that there are surrounding areas where they're not as strapped on apparatus but they're still disposing of something because they've replaced it with something newer already we should go to them and see how much it would cost for us to get it put it on the street it might not be a um, permanent solution but it'll certainly have street it'll have apparatus on the street today
0: I got to let you go, but let me just ask you straight up. Are there fire stations and the jurisdictions that they're in charge of, um, uh, those areas, are they not safe from protection against fires because uh,
1: the, the personnel in those stations don't have the vehicles they need to respond? We're going to be on the clock 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365, responding to emergencies no matter what. When we're down apparatus that we have fully in the budget to staff because of vehicle apparatus maintenance, that's going to extend the response times. It's going to make it a longer period of time to get enough personnel on the scene to get something under control, and it is not a situation we would allow to continue.
0: It's great to meet you, and I uh, hope that we can stay in touch uh, and you know keep track of uh, these uh, recommendations being implemented uh, sooner rather than later. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joshua Fannin, is a battalion chief with the Baltimore City Fire Department. He's the president of IAFF Local Nine Sixty Four, the Baltimore City Fire Officers Union. Coming up next, a conversation with Maryland Attorney General Brian Frosch. He'll be retiring at the end of the month. We'll talk about his tenure as AG, and this is a office that he has held for the past eight years. So he'll join me after a quick break. But before we go to that break, each week here on our program, it's our practice to acknowledge the people who have lost their lives to violence in Baltimore City and to list their names on the Midday webpage. We do so to stand in witness to their untimely deaths and to remember their families and friends in their hour of grief. So far this year, 320 people have lost their lives to violence In our city, Baltimore police have released the identity of three people whose deaths were first reported a few weeks ago. They are Khalil Tatum, age 38, Ralph Johnson, age 36, and Kiara Cox. She was 28 years old. Police have also identified seven of the eight people who were reported as victims of homicide last week. They are Tavaz Miles, age 25, Amare Burris, age 20, Jaleel George, age 24, Rashard Hall, age 32, Stewartress Burke, age 75, Corey Parker, age 31, and Jamira Burrell. She was 19 years old. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. We'll be right back. This is eighty-eight one, WYPR.